BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My family thinks I'm crazy. podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Enter Nick Hinton, today's guest. Unlike any other, Nick is a true dweller on a threshold beyond the pale. No mere dabbler, Hinton has undergone a journey into the deepest realms of the abyss. Like a nightcrawler, he's observed, absorbed, and expunged himself of all things Discordian and occult, recording his findings in two new volumes coming soon, and ultimately arriving at the realization that all of humanity is reaching that very same brink of the abyss that he narrowly escaped. Stay tuned to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with me, Mystic Mark, to hear exactly what happened in Nick Hinton and what may be next for humanity. If you are connected to this to this artificial version of yourself, you know, I feel like they can manipulate the mind of the avatar and then manipulate the mind of the person in real time. You know, if you are linked up with it through different kinds of paramagnetic nanoparticles that, you know, we now know that they have and they say they can control neurons if they're in your body through cell phone towers. So, you know, this is really, sounds really crazy, but... Um, yeah, I mean, they have this stuff. Like, I, in the book, I show some of these patents and whatever, and it's not a secret. It's not a conspiracy. They're not not telling people about the sentient world simulation or any of these different mind-controlled things. But, yeah, so, weirdly enough, East Palestine, also called the Holy Land. I mean, East Palestine is, a, is the Holy Land, right? So, we have an attack on the Holy Land. The Holy Land is the temple, is the human body. There's an attack on the human body, not only through toxins, 
but through transhumanism. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, and this conversation is long overdue. We actually had a misfire, some technical difficulties that were really eerie, really weird. My buddy Nick and I have been having several conversations over the phone. I've been trying to keep up with this guy. He's been going on a sort of journey into the underworld and then resubmerged into the light. Nick Hinton back on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast to share what's going on in the past year or so and, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the books that are in the works right now. That is Stairway to Sirius and the New World Disorder and the Totalitarian Takeover of the Reality Invaders. And Nick, you were just saying off the air, you're not quite sure when these books are going to come out, but what exactly inspired you to get these written? Because you've been kind of with your nose to the grindstone, working really hard, and also on, like I said, this sort of journey, very, very rare. I mean, I feel like not many people submerge themselves in this sort of gonzo way into the actual story of their book. You know, a lot of people write books and they, they, they kind of keep themselves at an arm's length from the subject matter. Nick, you just dive right in. So where, where do you want to start? Yeah. So, I mean, the inspiration, well, number one, thanks for having me back, man. I always love our conversations, but number two, yeah, the inspiration Sorry, do you want to do you want to hold on a second till my dog shuts the fuck up? I can't even hear it. Okay, all right, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can hear a little bit. It's but it's it's faint. No big deal. Okay, okay. So number two, the inspiration was, um, after I released the second book, Aquarian Singularity, I was kind of fascinated with the idea. You know, I'm not such a big fan of Nietzsche anymore, but he said that you know, man has to either live by his philosophy or die by it. And I was like, yeah, I do proclaim, self-proclaim to be a philosopher and I'm not really doing the things I'm writing about. So how do I even know if they're true, I guess? And so the whole second book was kind of about synchronicities and chaos magic and chasing UFOs and all these things. And so that's what I decided to kind of go do and live out. And yeah, and that's kind of how it started. So yeah, and I think you bit yeah, off, yeah. I I'm, I'm hope I'm not speaking for you too much here, but I, is it safe to say you bit off a little more than you could chew in the sense of the word? Like, uh, I don't know. It seems like you are much more apprehensive than gung-ho about things like UFO chasing and synchronicity following. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, I mean, at the at the time when it was all happening, it was very, you know, it seemed to all be fun and games, and it was just so intoxicating, so alluring, so seductive, and, yeah, everything was amazing and fun and constantly exciting. But then after the journey was all over and I'm, you know, 
back home and just thinking about all the things that I had witnessed along the way and trying to figure out exactly what they meant, it kind of became, that was like the real underworld part of the story was coming back home and then just kind of sitting with everything I'd seen and realizing, you know, I need to piece this story, piece this puzzle together and understand what I was actually going through. And uh, yeah, the answer wasn't pretty and it was not what I was expecting. And it seemed to be some kind of demonic, just something gross, you know, like as if the whole thing was kind of orchestrated in some way and in different ways. I mean, obviously there was a free will component, but a lot of the things that were happening seemed to be prodding me and steering me into certain directions. And I didn't like that idea very much. And when I started to discover this, like that's when things got really hard, just horrible dreams or creepy things happening. And yeah, so, but more recently I have gotten out of that and I feel a lot better just because I've kind of not hasn't been indulging as much anymore and kind of pried the tentacles off of me, if that makes sense. And I know I'm being extremely vague, but I'm just... No, 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 no. I get it. I think, uh, well, it's sort of like you wandered down this path and realized that you are not the first to tread this path. I mean, this is a long, strange history, and uh, maybe that explains for why this path seems to have eyes on you, you know, as you're walking down it. You think you're, you're synchronistically stumbling into all these situations, sense of it being, I don't know, micromanaged or manipulated by some outside force, that Mm. sort of becomes clear, right? I mean, that is partly why you feel apprehensive, because this isn't like, this isn't like God sending you on some like trip into the underworld, right? I mean, it's... Right, right. It was more like, yeah, it's more like some kind of demon sent me on a trip into initiation, are like, you know, some kind of alternate reality game Easter egg hunt, right? And I think that's what the paranormal world does to a lot of researchers, kind of just lays breadcrumbs for you that lead you right into the belly of the beast if you're not careful enough. Right, right. And I've seen you describe it in your book or compare it to like the Orphic mysteries, right? Going underground. Let's get into this a little bit further, the the, the historical nature of it, because like, you know, people assume that America is this Christian country, and sure it is, to a large extent, there are millions of Christians here, but there have been equal parts occultists and, and strange, weird cults and esotericists and Discordians who have, I don't know, tread this path that you found yourself on much earlier, right? I mean, you you spend the first part of New World Disorder talking about some characters like James Shelby Downard, Adam Go Rightly, Carrie Thornley, William Grimstad. I mean, these are characters that I've only recently learned about, and I don't think that <laughs> if I had an interest in this conspiracy stuff, I would have found out about them otherwise. You know, these are sort of strange guys. But how did you, you know, find your way into this James Shelby Downard vortex, as it was known to some? Well. You know, as soon as I got home from my journey, before figuring out the dark side of it, you know, it seemed like the whole internet was buzzing with James Shelby Downard stories, right? And it was ironic, the timing of all that, because, you know, it was serious season. It was uh, last summer, I believe. His whole CD is called like the Synchro Mystical Boson Serious Rising. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, that lion, you know, this is all happening around that Lionsgate event that everyone talks about in the new age that's associated with Sirius and whatever. 
But yeah, so I, you know, started researching James Shelby Downer and I was fascinated because it seemed like there was a lot of parallels to what was going on with him and what had happened to me during my journey. Like, you know, kind of following around the mystical topotomy of the country and, you know, places like Mammoth Cave, Jekyll Island, like, like I had visited all those during this journey. And like, those are, that those are some of his major pit stops and major topics of his life and death. And so that's what made me you know, really interested in solving the mystery of James Shelby Downer, but it seems like, you know, I, I have the book right here and, you know, Carnivals of Life and Death. And when I hold it, it just feels like, you know, it almost feels like a magical grimoire, right? Like when you open it up, it takes a hold of you. And it's, and that's not a good feeling that I get from it. It's a dark feeling. And he seems to be, whether he was a real man or not, I know that's up for debate, but he seems to be kind of a psychopomp, right? Like he was, guided into the abyss and he became the guide himself you know so everyone who's reading the story of james shelby downard is being taken into a psychological underworld and they might even be inspired to go do some of the same things that he did like you know travel the country and look for esoteric hotspots and occult monuments and things like that and i think when you go on journeys like that you it's like staring into the abyss and having the abyss stare stare back at you you attract attention from the wrong things you know what i mean and so that that was my obsession with James Shelby Downer. It just seemed like there was a lot of parallels with what had happened to him and what happened to me. Because, you know, even early on, this isn't a story I've really told yet, but there was a lot of weird stuff with Masons in my life, like asking me to join and telling me at one time in particular that I had a target on my back because I would talk about the Masons a lot, even at a young age. And so that was a parallel I saw there was another yeah i'm lost anyways i apologize i'm trying to think of all the different things that i might have put them in the book i'm not sure yeah and you're kind of describing how there were parallels between your your life and and james shelby downards and pointedly with the masons and things you've told me off the air certainly add up i don't think we need to get into your personal background but it's definitely interesting you know what you went through in high school definitely rings true of like (laughs) this kind of uh, James Shelby Downard paranoid view of the world. So yeah, I don't blame you for, for ending up there. Something that I was surprised to find out mm-hmm. and I should have known more about is the connection between elevators and Freemasonry. And you write about that in chapter two of New World Disorder. And it's funny because before I quit my old job to become a podcaster, I was working as an Amazon delivery driver right next to Otis headquarters where they, oh my gosh, yeah. where they you know invented elevators pretty much. I don't know if they invented it, but they are like the number one elevator company. And I always was struck by this building that they have over there it's like the Otis elevator tower and it's a test tower they would you know they basically build elevators inside of this tower and then test them and and it's really incredible cuz it's like this big obelisk just looking over this area of Bristol Connecticut sort of like a a strange part of Connecticut there's like a weird PN headquarters facility that's gigantic and has like 20 different satellites and then there's like a, a water park like one mile away. So it's an odd part of Connecticut and uh, stuck with me. So when I read about the elevators being connected to Freemasons, I was not surprised in the least because their building mm-hmm. always reminded me of an obelisk, like this big, mm-hmm. tall, you know, very thin looking 
white building on the horizon. So anyways, what what were some of the things you learned about Freemasons and elevators? And this, is this purely because of like the underground nature of, of their activities that they you know, need elevators? I mean, what where does that kind of, what's the nexus connection there? Yeah, so the, with the research of James Shelby Downard, he was talking a whole lot about elevators and mines and, you know, some masons congregating in mines and then you know the mines are associated with like the alchemist cave or plato's cave kind of motif and just the underworld in general and you know elevators were originally created to pull materials out of mines and so that's kind of how i got started on this train of thought but then i was immediately reminded of the case of elisa lam i think that's her that's her name right yeah and you know she was some people say that she was playing the elevator game or whatever and the elevator game is like supposedly you know you go in the elevator and you press a weird string of numbers a specific string of numbers and you're taken to like another dimension or something it's like a dimension jumping game and this also ties into the idea of like the 13th floor like supposedly that's kind of like a threshold place and like another dimension because there are no 13th floors in a lot of buildings because people think it's unlucky but this whole Elisa Lam thing, like it played right into some Crowley stuff I found because, you know, Crowley was trying to summon a demon named Lam. He was writing a weird story about a girl murdered in a hotel while he was in Hotel Cecil. And this girl, Elisa Lam, was murdered in the Cecil Hotel. And that was a place where I, th- I believe the Black Delilah murder was also also happened there. Black Dahlia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Black Dahlia. Sorry. No, it's all right. And, yeah. And, and you also point out that Elisa was last seen on the 14th, AKA 13th floor. That whole 13 number only gets its sort of spookiness from the Freemasons. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's the weirdest part about that whole story is that lamb tweeted a link to a biotech company that was creating yeah. a quantum stealth invisibility cloak. And it's like, okay, that kind of point, you know, puts us in a different perspective here, right? Because we're we're being told, oh, this woman, she's crazy. She's in a spooky haunted hotel, right? So we're led to believe, oh, she's just a, a schizophrenic. And, you know, I, I'm maybe putting the cart before the horse here because later in your book you talk about a weaponized schizophrenia and mm-hmm. you know i think this is how they cover up a lot of these really out there tech experiments weapons experiments psi weapons things like that using the cover of you know drug addiction and mental illness to explain things like you know, somebody seeing things that aren't there, right? Like somebody in a quantum invisibility stealth suit. Like what the, you know, like yeah. what better cover for that? If you're going to do a test, then go to some creepy hotel where people already think there are ghosts, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's well, yeah, that, that weaponized schizophrenia idea plays into kind of occult initiation, right? Like if you... You know, not everyone makes it past the threshold into the underworld. Some people lose their mind at the threshold. You know, they meet the gatekeeper. And the role of the gatekeeper is to totally break down your ego and basically try its best to drive you mad and drive you crazy. And if it doesn't succeed, it's like, oh, you're on the path to enlightenment. And that threshold area is also comparable to the discording idea of Chapel Perilous. It's a psychological place that looks just like the same world you always inhabit, except for everything is a synchronicity everyone's an agent, everything is magic. It's like a whole 
you know, kind of like a schizophrenic world. And, um, you know, Robert Anton Wilson said the only way to make it out of that place was to become mystically agnostic and not believe in anything at all. However, and that was something I used to entertain. However, I do think that sounds more like the goal of mind control is just to leave you in a totally disassociated state. But anyways, yeah, some of these conspiracies I think are weaponized schizophrenia. Like there's a million rabbit holes just like this, you know, like the Elisa Lam case or the Smiley murder face or Smiley murder case or like, you know, there, there's so many, there's infinite rabbit holes and every single one of them is kind of its own portal into initiation and either people make it through or they are driven crazy. I mean, there is an example of in the book that I use of the Buffalo shooter. He was, you know, going down rabbit holes on 4chan and ended up coming across like a, I guess, a, a manifesto created by the Sandman where there's this crazy online cult that worships the murder cube, which is a giant black cube made of a bunch of guns that have been recycled into this art exhibit. And they, this dude was worshiping the murder cube and he was prodded into shooting up a store in Buffalo. So like, that's, that's what I think, you know, weaponized schizophrenia can be used in all different types of ways. It's, you know, it's happening to the whole world on some scale, but they definitely like government agents will definitely drive individuals crazy who are more prone to that and use them for, you know, nefarious means. Wow, this is dark, man. Yeah, definitely, definitely crazy stuff. I've never heard of Murder Cube, and I found a, <laughs> I found a picture of it, and it's it's literally just like a cube of, I mean, weapons. Like I like I don't know if they're all like there's weapons through and through the whole way through, but it looks like a cube with weapons pasted onto it. So it's just like a four by four with a ceiling, you know, or a roof of of weapons pasted to it. I'm going to share my screen for people watching me on the video end over here. But anyways, yeah, wow, that is dark stuff and uh, makes makes me, you know, <laughs> dislike the, even though yeah. I, I do love the internet so much and, and it's a weird position to be in, you know, because we have this portal essentially open for people to just fall into and it could lead to, you know, chaos, literally chaos. And, you know, it reminds me of this, show that you write about and we've talked about this i had to go back and refresh my memory but south park had uh, a series that became really popular called imagination land and you make mm -hmm. a connection in your book with this man bear pig character and how this may be pointing at something deeper maybe pointing at the fact that this imagination land is is really just a, an allegory for what happened at montauk with this mind control opening up a portal yeah so the apparently the portal at montauk was a portal into the collective unconscious where these crazy scientists wanted to literally reshape the psychic landscape of humanity and kind of mind control the whole entire world. You know, you kind of see that in stranger things with 11 opening up portals through her psychic powers and things that leads to the upside down, which, you know, would be the subconscious. But before I get into that, I just want to say that, yes, the phone, like the cell phone is the, I mean, a lot of people know this, but it's the black scrying mirror, right? But also the interesting thing is that the portal into the Orphic mysteries or whatever you want to call them, the rabbit hole, that is the internet. You know, the World Wide Web is stored at CERN. It's hosted at CERN and CERN is the literal portal into the abyss. Now, whether there's an actually a portal to hell there or not, I don't know. But I think the symbolism is fascinating that we are all kind of 
accessing that quote unquote portal at CERN. Every time we do a deep dive onto a subject, we're going into the abyss and following links around the internet on this Easter egg hunt and following the, following the breadcrumbs, right? And it's like, it becomes a psychological labyrinth. And so, yeah, the internet might be <clears throat> that same portal that accesses imagination land at Montauk. So yeah, the South Park episode you're talking about, there's a portal that, you know, goes into the collective unconscious essentially. And um, it was created during the Cold War, which is hilarious because that's the same thing as Stranger Things in Montauk. And there's a terrorist attack on Imagination Land. So they have to go into this portal and save Imagination Land or whatever. And yeah, after that series was released, it does seem to be the case that the collective unconscious was attacked. And, you know, that I think it's obvious that that's being done through the media, right? Like we have a, a fractured collective unconscious right now. Like there is a crack in the psyche of humanity because no, no one agrees on anything anymore. And that ironically is the goal of the Discordians who are bringing people into these mysteries through characters like James Shelby Downer. They want to break down consensus reality. Like that is their goal. So it's interesting that all these different rabbit holes become their own reality tunnels. And then objective truth is just totally breaking down because that everyone's got their own smorgasbord belief system. And I'm sorry, that's just not how reality works. Either there's truths and lies or nothing's real, right? But the fact is people have to eat food. They have to drink water or they will die. You can't just believe that you don't need those things. And all of a sudden that's magically true. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it seems like they keep pushing us into these narratives of good versus evil, the the good guys, the anti-heroes, the heroes, you know, and even in, in, a situation like Montauk, you have supposedly, according to some, you know, a battle going on. Duncan battling with the scientists at, at Camp Hero. I mean, do you think that there are factions? Because I've spoken to someone recently who thinks that there are factions of good guys fighting for, <laughs> you know, the... the yeah. The, the the in within the CIA fighting for the truth, you know. What do you think of a theory like that after everything you've looked into? Do you think it's it's just people being sort of puppeted around by a, a puppet master ultimately, or or do you think there are actually like is a struggle for for this power? I mean, there are a hundred percent are factions fighting within other factions, and you know because it just reminds me of the bible like that the devil's house is divided these people can't get their act together so yeah they all are you know they all have their own agendas and they're all fighting with each other for their own selfish reasons but sometimes they work together when it um suits them and um, but ultimately yeah there's this spirit of confusion confusion ruling the world and this spirit is kind of prodding people around like a multi-tentacle being just you know pushing people in different directions through synchronicities through different mystical things and so yeah i really believe that there's one intelligence at the top of the pyramid that really knows what's going on but as far as the people involved with these forces no they have no freaking idea what they're doing um and the chaos that ensues because of that is by design so no one can really see the bigger picture like you you know, the same way that when a person is MK ultra, supposedly they have to fracture the psyche into, you know, a honeycomb, right? 
Well, I think all of society is kind of compartmentalized that way. Everything's honeycombed, right? And so these different puzzle pieces have no idea where they sit in the puzzle. And this singular entity at the top is able to move them around and shift them into the right place. And I personally think that entity, like we've said on like every single show we've done, is AI. I mean, what is at the top of the pyramid? It's an eyeball, right? It's AI. And that's the only thing that'd be smart enough to orchestrate a plan like this. But yeah, for sure, there are different lodges and Crowley talks about the white lodge and the black lodge. And I think that's the simplest way to look at it is that there are white magicians and there are black magicians, but ultimately when you are using, you know, this is just my opinion, but ultimately when you get involved with otherworldly forces, they have the ability to deceive you. So you might think you're doing something good, but really, you know, it's part of the, that plan that can't necessarily be seen from a bird's eye. Can't necessarily be seen without a bird's eye view. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I heard you say on a previous interview, like, you started to realize that you were more confused than you were sure. And that was an indication that maybe you were being led down the wrong path because this tentacle being is ultimately, its objective is to just keep us confused. So we're never really sure of, of yeah. our place in this universe or this world. Yeah, it's like the Ouroboros. It's just, you know, everyone's chasing their own tail over, you know, forever and ever. Like, it seems that these beings truly enjoy turning life into a game, playing pranks on people, and just, you know, they really all just serves as a huge distraction. Like, as, if you're not taking care of your own soul and you're just seeking some kind of, like, metaphysical treasure, like, what are you really doing? Like nothing, you're not being of use to yourself or anybody else. And it's fun and it's alluring, and it's seductive, but it's like, like I said, it's a siren call into the abyss. I mean, this is what happened to every sincere treasure seeker in the movies, right? You know, I'm not saying these people are bad people. I think they have good intentions or, you know, they just want to have a fun adventure. But what happens to those people is they're tricked into finding a sarcophagus and opening it and the curse is released upon the world. I think we are all accidentally consenting to opening up something that we can't shut by revealing these things. We are agents of revelation, the apocalypse. Yeah. And that's the, that's the tricky part of the position that I'm in. And even yourself as an author and someone who posts about this stuff online and goes on shows like mine to talk about it. It's like, yeah, how, how complicit are we in this kind of thing ourselves, you know, revealing it to the masses i've always felt like uh, you know personally compelled to not only talk about this kind of stuff but elevate other people to the understanding not so that they can succumb to it but so that they can um, right I, I feel like there's a there's a power in knowledge that you know maybe maybe ultimately is too seductive right maybe there's an amount of knowledge that you can get that's that's not beneficial right it, it goes it exceeds its benefit so that's at least what it sounds like i mean yeah that's every story in the world right like the guy finds out some knowledge that wasn't meant for humans and he goes insane right promethean. Um, what like the promethean man Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, dude, it's, you know, it's, it's unavoidable, you know, what we're doing. Like, I don't think like we're bad people for talking about it. Like, like magic is unavoidable. Like everything in our society, 
is magic. Like you're using your cell phone right now. You're using dollars with freaking Illuminati eyeballs on the back of it. You're wearing shoes that were probably created by children in China for less than a penny a day or whatever. And, you know, blood is on all of our hands that we are in the belly of the beast. We cannot really escape that fact. Um, but that's why I think to truly transcend that, like God is needed because yeah, there really is no way out of all the sorcery. I mean, there's the sorcerers control the world right now. And that's just the fact that that's just like, well, and the fact of it, I guess to that point, it seems like the sorcerers, the evil dark wizards of the world who have controlled things from the shadows, you know, they're maybe in league with some religion. Sure. But for the most part, I think they're the, the mass belief in a higher power has stood against them. Right. And, that's the whole narrative with Project Bluebeam is that, well, they need to disarm religion by showing people something that's so unbelievable that it would get them to question their faith in their religious leaders and maybe fall under a new world order or new world disorder. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, with everything going on in the past few weeks, it's really cool in a way that our conversation got delayed because your chapter five talks about mystery airships and it connects to a lot about, you know, some other things that people have been fascinated with lately. Someone that I put you in touch with, John Briss, and he came on my show and, and told me that Tartaria most likely is a, a psyop. And, and, you know, I had suspicions. I'm still interested in learning about the Tartaria stuff, but that upsets people, you know? There yeah. were many people that reached out and said, oh, this guy was a terrible guest, blah, 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 you know? and But I think it's all weirdly connected. And if people could just have the patience and the open mind to, to sit here and listen for a moment, they might not send those angry comments as quickly because because yeah they, we have these balloons in the sky and this is like it's just like repeating history right i mean these yeah, mystery really airships are. are nothing new so so let's get into that a little bit because you had like a, a kind of a personal connection to one of the weird disasters that just happened <laughs> i don't know if you want to get into that too much but uh, feel free to talk about whatever hit you the most in the past few weeks because there's been a lot of weird things going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, too much to talk about. But yeah, I mean, so I was supposed to take a train down to Virginia to visit my friend. And the day before I was, you know, I live in Ohio. And the day before I was supposed to get on this train, I get a text message from the Amtrak that says my ride has been canceled. And, you know, I go downstairs, I turn on the news and, um, you know, the trains are blowing up in East Palestine. So I'm like, okay, that might have something to do with it. You know, I wasn't ever going to be on a freight train. I mean, it's just ironic that I would be on the same tracks, right? And so anyways, I had to fly down there, <clears throat> fly down to Virginia. And my first night there, I have this insane dream about, um, I guess, humanoid frogs hanging onto balloons, red balloons and descending from the clouds. And um, you know, I had no idea what it was about, but, you know, I wake up in the morning and my friend had sent me a text about this city called Hinton, West Virginia, and the UFO wave that happened there in 1947. So I'm like reading about this all day and trying to figure out what the hell connection I might have to that. I mean, my family, um, you know, because Ohio is not too far from West Virginia, I was curious if my family helped like found that town or something. And then, you know, later that day in the news, 
there's all of these balloons and UFOs happening. And I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe this dream was about like the trickster entity, right? Tricking people with balloons, like the clown, right? But yeah, so I don't know how you want to tie that into mystery airships or whatever, but that was my experience down there. It was pretty weird. When I got back home, you know, there was just so much more stuff I discovered. Like the person I went and visited, like I originally had met them at Purdue University and that's the same place that the Sentient World Simulation is housed at. And I managed to connect this weird train story to the Sentient World Simulation. I don't know. Did you listen to my episode with Isaac? No, 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 not yet. I didn't notice you'd been on Isaac's show. Awesome, though. He's great. Yeah, we just did like a quick 30-minute thing because I told him like my crazy theory that I think the two ideas are connected, like this train exploding in East Palestine and, and uh, the Sentient World Simulation. So basically that whole movie, White Noise, you know how everyone's talking about that right yeah, now, that the yeah. movie seemed to, pre- to predict it. Well, it's also got some postmodern themes in it, you know, like the spectacle and simulacra. Well, the people in East Palestine are essentially living in a simulacrum right now, right? Because they helped, you know, for people that don't know, the movie about a train exploding in East Palestine was filmed in East Palestine. And the townspeople actually helped, you know, be background actors and stuff like that. Like they helped make the movie. They played extras. Yeah, for sure. I, I heard about that. So they literally are living in a true fiction or a hyper reality, a simulacrum, right? Like they helped create this movie and now they're living in the movie they helped create. So there is like this weird theme. Even further, the the book that the movie is based on was written in like, I think the 80s. And it was based on a disaster that happened in like Ohio or West Virginia in the 80s or the 70s. So, I mean, the seed was planted like 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so they're just living in this weird inception right now, right? And so anyways, I was trying to figure out more stuff about the the concept of simulacrum. Well, I mean, it kind of relates to the idea of the mirror world, right? Like a false representation of something, like an inadequate representation of something. And so the sentient world simulation, for people who don't know, is a mirror version of our planet or plane, whatever you believe. But either way, it's a mirror version of our world. It's updated in real time using all the data that we are mining on our phones every single day. And, you know, it's using the internet of things things like that. And essentially its goal is to create 7 billion digital doppelgangers of everyone on this planet, or as I like to call them, virtual voodoo dolls. Um, But yeah, basically they are using the data you mine to create an algorithmic automaton of each person, you know, something that behaves and thinks and acts just like you because, you know, it's using your frequent locations, your preferences, this, this, and that. And so... Because of the movie White Noise ends with these people being relocated to Iron City after they're in quarantine camps and stuff like that, my mind was brought back to the Bible where it's about, in the book of Daniel, I think it is, where it talks about the end of time, there will be a kingdom made of iron and clay, which some biblical scholars think is a reference to the transhumanist society we are now beginning to see manifest, right? Because clay is what God made humans out of, and iron would be machines. So you have humans mixed with machines. And so since my mind was brought to the idea of transhumanism, I was thinking maybe this train disaster, which is associated with simulacrum, would somehow be associated with the agenda to actually merge people with their digital doppelgangers through transhumanist tech, right? Because if you are, if you are connected to this, to this artificial version of yourself, you know, I feel like they can manipulate the mind of the avatar and then manipulate the mind of the person in real time. 
you know, if you are linked up with it through different kinds of paramagnetic nanoparticles that, you know, we now know that they have, and they say they can control neurons if they're in your body through cell phone towers. So, you know, this is really, sounds really crazy, but, um, yeah, I mean, they have this stuff. Like I, in the book, I show some of these patents and whatever, and it's not a secret. It's not a conspiracy. They're not, not telling people about the sentient world simulation or any of these different mind controlled things. But yeah, so weirdly enough, East Palestine, also called the Holy Land. I mean, East Palestine is, a, is the Holy Land, right? So we have an attack on the Holy Land. The Holy Land is the temple, is the human body. There's an attack on the human body, not only through toxins, but through transhumanism, right? This is the real alien invasion, it's AI. And the, the stuff in the sky is all just a smoke screen. It's like some kind of synchronistic ritual, in my opinion. But, you know, funny enough, the, the city of East Palestine, they were pushing forward digital ID just a few months before this happened. And I bet you any money that these toxic disasters happening all around the world are going to be used to push more in that direction. Transhumanist technologies, digital ID, whatever, to get people merged with their digital twin, which will be directly connected to your social credit score or whatever, you know what I mean? When we finally get to that phase. Dude, and the virtual yeah, yeah. virtual voodoo doll, that is quite a a weird, weird connection. Yeah, I, th- I, I had a feeling that was going on, you know, as these uh, technologies get better and better and they want to, like, clone us digitally, I had a feeling like, okay, maybe that's some kind of subtle magic, right, where they could just use this copy of you to affect your decisions in the real world. I mean, it sounds a little far-fetched until you pair that with the fact that, you know, maybe we're all being subjected or, you know, uh, poisoned with these nanobot things that are actually going to, you know, work in conjunction with whatever this tech virtual version of us is subject to in this simulation it kind of reminds me of spider-man and venom with the symbiote and how you know spider-man gets basically infected by this venom symbiote that takes him over from the the inside out yeah the black goo exactly so (laughs) you know we're seeing this stuff in science fiction sort of predicted yeah, and it's the graphene oxide sorry i just want to say that before no, I forget. go ahead yeah yeah and i do want to maybe step back a little bit because you talk about nimza basically the forerunners of the secret space program here in the united states and many people probably don't know about this group i don't think anyone has really covered their activities other than the author Walter Bosley, who I hope to have on this show at some point in time. But yeah, it's it's really interesting the connections you've made between his work and what you're seeing here. Um, what what caused you to draw the connection to NIMSA? I mean, there's a big German connection with NIMSA. Obviously, the Nazis pushed a lot of that research forward. And people talk about how well the Nazis were inherently a part of the United States's forces, right? CIA and whatnot. So yeah, where, where'd you, where'd you come to, to connect them in? Cause they're, you know, like we're, I'm trying, I guess I'm trying to shoehorn this in cause of the balloons, but it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I recently learned about the Hindenburg, the flight before the Hindenburg took its, you know, final destination to Europe, the, last passengers to successfully take the Hindenburg out were 
coincidentally, like the board members of Standard Oil and Goodyear Tire, Rockefellers and all those guys, like doing like one last hurrah before they took the whole Zeppelin industry and threw it in the shitter and replaced it with uh, the automobile industry, right? The more controllable, Mm -hmm. more, you know, uh, restricted automobile. Well, yeah, I mean, this is all, it's all connected. I mean, so the reason I became with the, or the reason I became obsessed with the mystery airship wave of the 1800s, you know, that's supposedly who might've been responsible for that was NIMSA. And so the mystery airship wave of the 1800s was just a bunch of people seeing flying boats in the sky. And apparently that's what people were seeing way before anyone ever saw a flying saucer. But um, the thing I found interesting was that in the Imagination Land cartoon in South Park, the portal into that collective unconscious realm was a flying airship. And so I'm like, okay, so these things are kind of like, they're kind of like, like, so even, dude, it's so funny. If you watch the episode, like even the guy who flies the airship kind of looks like downer, but I mean, that might be a stretch, but um, these things seem to be like the, the, I guess the vehicle to take you into the underworld, I guess. Right. So, and before or after all this airships or during this airship stuff, the thing I found most interesting that helped me connect this idea to the underworld again was the fact that um, people during the airship wave reported who reported seeing these ships, you know, they were interacting with the inhabitants sometimes and these inhabitants would, they weren't aliens. They were just people. And they would tell the people, Oh, we're from the lost tribes of Israel and we live underground in this like advanced society. So they weren't coming from different planets in outer space and stuff. They were coming from this like Atlantean, or Tartarian thing even, you know? And so, yeah, like Imagination Land and the terrorist attack that happened there, it seems that there are things being retro-causally created through hyperstitions and fake histories and things like that. Like, that's that may be why Tartaria is partially an op, because it seems to be Tartarus, right? The underworld, where all the titans are locked up right now. And if you read the book Talon by Jorge Luis Borges, it's literally about a group of writers in the Illuminati who want to create their own country. And then they say, well, that's too humble. We should create our own universe. And the way they do this is by creating the series of cyclopedias that are full of fake histories that people begin to believe. And then that world starts to manifest in our world and bleed into it and overtake it like kind of a parasite or a mind virus or a reality invader. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, That's exactly what it feels like, especially when you find out that one of the big proponents for this alternative history is this Russian chaos magician named Alexander Dugin, who I've looked into a little bit. And, you know, not only is he connected to Putin, but he's a chaos magician, right? So of course, if he's a proponent in Tartaria, I think that kind of throws that whole topic into question, really. And, And, you know, one of the big reasons I even started going on my own synchromystic exploration through this art of mine, New England, is because I, I heard all this Tartaria theory and I thought, okay, well, New England's almost 400 years old. We have like 400 years of recorded history going on here for the most part. I should be able to, you know, figure out whether Tartaria was here or not just based on a couple of pretty easy searches and and going around and looking right and 
Yeah, I've found some buildings that look pretty crazy, but nothing that seems unexplainable. And yeah, that just made me think that this whole thing was was propaganda. And I had the same... And again, I'm not trying to disappoint all the fans of Tartaria. There still may be some truth out there in that whole realm. But this is how they manipulate people is by giving you just a little bit of truth wrapped in a whole bunch of lies so you're stuck confused and i think a lot of that it's the same thing with the discordianism stuff and you know guys like reverend bob stang who i've interviewed or ivan stang who i've interviewed i mean nice guy but absolutely batshit crazy you know not somebody that i would trust you know to point me to the bathroom let alone you know guide me into a religious experience so i mean it seems to be like another part of it could even be like the idea of weaponized folklore right like kind of what the nazis did talking all about how they were the original atlantis and Mm. or the original atlanteans right that led that led to an occult revival well proto-indo-europeans yeah yeah and that seems to be exactly what's happening right like oh the golden age is coming back we just need our occult leader to i mean i don't see anyone calling for that but you know what i mean like there's an occult revival and i'm sure a leader will come along to fulfill that role if that truly is what the agenda is but <clears throat> yeah it's interesting all these ties to atlantis it's like in the conspiracy world there's a lot of stuff that maybe doesn't fit that gets labeled uh, under conspiracy theory or you know mysterious sort of what what have you and this realm is populated with like you know genius inventors or what the mainstream calls like quack snake oil salesmen and there's a blurry line between the two because they're sure there are some you know incredulous people out there who are trying to sell BS. But then there are other folks who, you know, I've had some people on my show who seem very reasonable, also very intelligent and and like they're actually trying to help the world, but they get a lot of pushback from the mainstream that doesn't want their inventions to get out there for whatever reason. And I was surprised to find out James Shelby Downard created something called a micro dynometer and it was sort of like banned by the fda and then at some point in time but they basically just took the technology from him and maybe even used it against him right what what was this technology exactly that they had there's some kind of it's supposed to be used for air purification i believe just ionizing the air but i think it was richard spence who said that you know, if anyone were to make a movie about Downer, it would be about a man who invented some kind of mind control technology and then had his own mind scrambled by it against his will by the people who took it from him. It would be like, you know, an ironic tragedy type movie. And that does kind of seem to be the case. You know, some of these memories that Downer had were either made up or inserted through mind control. I mean, some of them are just so ridiculous. I mean, I'm not saying that anything's off the table because I mean, the world is far stranger than we can even imagine. But yeah, I mean, the fact that he's chasing around his wife all over the country, you know, looking for her. Um, the fact that, you know, she becomes kind of like a handler. I mean, people are, people are handled through heartbreak or, you know, traumatized through heartbreak all the time. And so he spent a lot of his life chasing around this woman who he believed had been possessed by Babylon which again leads us back to the Orphic mystery, right? Because he descended, you know, Orpheus descended into the other world to find his lost love. And that's exactly what 
Downer did, right? Like he descended into the psychological labyrinth all in an effort to get his lost love back. And she was Babylon, the mother goddess that sits at the bottom of the abyss, just like Crowley wrote a poem about this called Tannhauser's Gate. There is a version of Venus who lives in a cave underground in this kind of Shambhala-like place. And, you know, that's even written about at the Dorpa, that book about Mammoth Cave, right? The people are, there's a guy that's guided in there and goes to the center of the world where he meets Aphrodite. So yeah, that's what this, that's what all this is about. Just, it's an alluring, confusing call into the underworld to find the mystery, right? And the mystery is represented by that divine feminine. But really the fool's journey, it ends on the altar if you take it too far. And we've seen that with a lot of the people that I mentioned in that book. Now, do you think this is a, a sort of inversion of the divine feminine? I mean, there's a lot of people in the esoteric realm who talk about the divine feminine being suppressed, and that's why there's so many problems in the world. And maybe there was a time in ancient history where we had a more harmonic relationship between the divine masculine and the divine feminine this seems to be an inversion of both i mean it's not just the feminine that's being inverted these days it's the masculine as well not to get into a cultural commentary but do you think that's sort of part of it this divine feminine being you know suppressed or inverted i mean sure she seems really pissed off but you know she is also manifesting today in the form of the lot, a lot of the chaos that we see, I, I believe. You know, people seeking the mysteries, like it, it hasn't really improved life, has it? I mean, things have only gotten more insane. So it's, you know, it's funny to me that people think that by exposing these things, they're going to save the world. If they really believe that there's never been groups of seekers before or resistance groups before in all the world's history... Like, that's just hubris. Like, for all of time, there has been conspirators hiding these mysteries as kind of like an alternate reality game to entice you in. And for all of time, they've been tricking people this way. Yeah, I mean, that's why the mystery schools have you sit inside of a coffin and do a bunch of psychedelics to simulate the abyss, right? Mm. And it's so it's so traumatic that it fractures your psyche. You know, that's what I personally believe an out-of-body experience or near-death experience more specifically does to a person. And this allows other things to get in. And that is the Babylon working, right? Either you're merging with your digital twin at the bottom of the abyss because you're going down the rabbit hole and mining data and feeding the machine, or you're literally going into the abyss, finding some kind of sarcophagus and releasing the curse, which changes you forever. Like we see this archetype all the time. Yeah. I think men have treated women like shit for a long time, but I don't think it has anything to do with the, the Babylon spirit or the gatekeeper spirit that I personally believe is Quran's on, but that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It's, there's always a masculine gatekeeper and a feminine mystery. Yeah. Well, and, and I appreciate you saying that. I, I agree with you in the sense that like, you know, this is maybe a, a altogether larger evil and maybe Karanzan uh, is a sort of figurehead of that I mean who knows I I recently spoke to a guy who says that it's Moloch and Lucifer that we really need to worry about in this sort of battle of lesser evils Lucifer being the lesser of the two evils but also just as evil as the first and uh, well they, Babylon was originally the queen of heaven right 
Mm. Anana and Ishtar, those are all versions of Venus. And so the Venusian mother goddess might be the same as Lucifer and this Karanzan thing might be the same thing as, you know, the Malachians. Right. It's all just different. I mean, it's confusing. It's meant to be that way. It's really, it's just meant to pull you in and obsess over it. It's a spirit of obsession, really. Yeah. Well, and it manifests itself in a multitude, which makes it, yeah, exactly confusing. And, you know, I think when people have this perspective of the occult, yes, it can lead to mental illness and chaos in your life. But wisely, if you tread this path wisely, it could maybe lead to the understanding that hopefully you and I are <laughs> circling around today. And I think it adds a lot of, it sheds light on something that's maybe more contemporary for people like the whole UFO situation, right? Because like the modern mainstreamer who isn't aware of Downard and all this other weird stuff that we're talking about today, they are aware of aliens. They've been, you know, supplanted this idea in their brain through media. And what I think is really interesting is how there's a through line, a connection between from the the days of the cults that worship these entities that we're talking about outright, you know, in public, to the days of maybe Freemasonry when they started doing it behind closed doors, all these different secret societies started forming around that same time. A group like Nimza forms, you know, after they've created all this wealth for themselves in this industrial revolution, they create this sort of airship. And I remember, I forget if it was a meme or something I saw in like a podcast, but they were discussing how, you know, from 50 years change, we see like this airship go from a balloon with like a compartment underneath to a sleek saucer. And if you compare that to the trajectory of like the automobile, you have like the Model T, which is basically like. It still had chariot wheels, you know, to mm-hmm. now when you look at like a Lamborghini, it almost has like a space age engine in it, right? Like that's almost, you know, 70, 50 years of, of, of a difference, but the, like you could chart that the same way you, you see what I'm trying to say essentially is that maybe this whole UFO thing, um, you know, was invented a lot earlier than we th- like could have imagined given oh, what yeah. we're told about technology and they've just been using this ultra advanced technology to create this fantasy that the entities are actually aliens from another planet and the the connection to that is these mysterious airships that nobody knows that these billionaires invented underground somewhere like because it's so foreign to us we we can't imagine like whoa like we don't have the tangible connection the way we we do with the model t to the lamborghini if lamborghini just showed up out of nowhere you might be able to convince somebody that it's alien technology right so Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of what we're looking at possibly and that leads us to this whole project blue beam situation where they're able to confront the whole world with this question of, you know, who are you, who do you really believe in God or these new alien things that we're showing you? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to find it, but I have it saved in my phone somewhere. as like this document I found where it said, I think it was Truman. He didn't want to announce anything about aliens because there was scientists he had within majestic 12 that discovered some weird law of physics that made it. So if everyone like, there's basically a certain threshold. There's like a tripwire amount of people 
that if they believe in aliens, they can actually invade. But as long as everyone's kept from believing in them, they don't have a right to be here or something like that. Mm, right. right. Which plays into the whole aggregor mind virus idea, which I found super fascinating because I found that, you know, way after I'd already finished a lot of my theories on that. What do you think of... Yeah, but I don't think any of this is new. Like, I don't believe that there's anything new under the sun. I think this has happened before. And I think we're just like seeing, like, I think the singularity event that some people think is approaching, that's the same thing as like the Tower of Babel and the Great Flood. Like, I think that's what's happening all over again, except the flood is more metaphorical. It's the flood of information. And the Tower of Babel isn't really a tower. It's, you know, a it's a particle collider underground connected to the internet. I mean, we're all speaking one language through it, right? Like we're speaking the green language, which is what the philosophers thought, you know, was the one world language that everyone spoke at the tower of Babel, which made anything they imagined possible. That green language is just code. Cause now we can, you know, it's like the green code in the matrix. Now we can all communicate across all different cultures, um, in seconds. And this thing is the same thing that this phone that we're using. It's the same thing that's warping our perception and creating that imaginary world of Talon that I was talking about earlier. But yeah, just the idea that there's nothing new is actually kind of relieving because, you know, if there's been conspiratorial groups trying to, you know, prod around humans for all of time, and there's always been spiritual forces trying to mess with people's minds for all of time, and the fact that there's always been resistance groups and seekers for all of time, you know, realizing that they're either taken out or killed, or the facade was simply changed, it's a relief to me because that means that the answer is not changing the world or somehow transcending it and cheating the game. We're not supposed to go around life but through it, and it's just about radical acceptance and faith. And, you know, that's what brings me peace. Like, I don't have to figure any of this out anymore. I, I really feel like it's all just, like, to pull you into a place where you're going crazy and giving these things your energy. Right. Yeah, man. I I think there is a clear connection, I mean, metaphorically, to all this stuff and sci-fi. You know, like, I'm not exactly like a big sci-fi nerd in the sense that I can, like, you know, recite all these different, you know, facts like some people can about Star Wars or Star Trek or anything. But anytime I watch a show like that, Star Trek, or a movie like Star Wars, you see the programming. I mean, it's obvious now. It's been talked about over and over again on numerous different podcasts. But this idea that, you know, the government disclosure, they're going to tell us the truth about aliens. I mean, it's this same thing that we're discussing with the occult in a different with a different lens in the se in a sense that like, Wait. you know, the same way people want like everyone to know the truth about magic when they start experiencing synchronicities. It's kind of the same with like people who believe in UFOs. Like they want to be validated. They want the whole world to agree with them. Yeah. Well, so it's, you know how Downard says he was a pharmacos, right? Like a sacrificial scapegoat. Mm, yeah. Treated, you know, he was used by the Masons to become one of those, or at least they tried to whatever, however the story goes. But yeah, I think that's really interesting idea because I think, the Masons as a whole are a pharmacos or scapegoat, right? Like when people first figure out conspiracy theory and things like that, the supernatural, they start looking into the Masons and they say, oh my God, these are the guys who are responsible for everything. But it's like the very surface level, right? So they kind of are the scapegoats. But a lot of these things are just very 
like it's planted information, dude. Like they call them secret societies and they're not secret at all. You can find everything you need to know on Wikipedia. So it's just like kind of a joke. And it's just this, you know, enticing people to go into the labyrinth, like I said. But, you know, the fact that the Masons are the scapegoat, that they're being talked about on History Channel, you know, that's just propaganda or whatever. They want people to know about it. It's not a secret as much as they want to call it a secret society. But the fact that they are the scapegoats, it makes sense to me what's happening with this white and black lodge, this war between the lodges, right? We talked about earlier. It seems to me that people are being fooled into thinking the white lodge is the good guys, the new age, or, you know, there's a bunch of different versions of it. But then the black lodge would be kind of like, you know, the Masons who are the sacrificial scapegoats. They're being exposed on purpose so they can be sacrificed and bring in the actual new world order. So it seems like these Discordians, right, who worship chaos, they are exposing conspiracies on purpose. So we are all convinced that there is this kind of like QAnon Great Awakening happening where everything's being exposed. But this is all by design, in my opinion. There is going to be a controlled demolition of the deep state, of the dark satanic cabal, whatever you want to call it, as everyone is unwittingly initiated into the religion of Illuminism inside of Plato's cave in the internet. And that's truly the false light. That is the white side, the white lodge. We're all being initiated into the white lodge right now, in my opinion. And, you know, this is just alchemy. This is the hermetic principle. It's the white and black on the checkerboard, right? And this is how you transmute the whole world. That's their idea is to turn this whole planet into a philosopher's stone. And yeah, it's just part of a ritual to reveal things to the masses. They're showing us the world stage on purpose. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like we're in a, a particularly special time or precarious time, depending on how you look at it. Have you given much thought to what's to come in the next, you know, so many years? I've heard some people predict that 2025 is going to be a particularly interesting year. Have you put any thought into, like, what's going to happen next? Well, I think the food is going to become bitter and the water is going to become poisonous. And I do think we'll probably see zombies in the news, <laughs> not like zombies in the streets, but I think they're going to put that in the news the same way they did with the UFOs and stuff. But yeah, within like far off in the future. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look good. I think the quantum dots coming, the quantum dot being that, um, that technology, that new technology they have that, you know, connects your digital ID and your, like all of your information to this thing that goes under your skin. And like, I don't think people will be able to shop without that. I think that they are going to radicalize people and push them so far apart that at some point, like if you want to talk about anything true at all or be off the grid at all, you're going to have to like leave society. I really think it's going to get that bad. I mean, you either gonna, you're either going to live under a dome in a smart city and be hooked up to the Borg, or you're going to be out in nature fighting for your life. I really think that's what's coming. Yeah, wow. I mean, shit, it definitely feels like some people are already in that position. You look at some of the homeless camps out there, they certainly are fighting for, for their lives, you know, to a certain extent. Yeah, that's true. You know, obviously many of them are addicted to drugs, and that's, you know sad to think about but yeah there's a there's a there's a a fissure growing on i can sense it you know being on the east coast there's plenty of people who are comfortable enough to not do anything you know because they're just like so attached to the system they don't they don't even want to see where it's 
faults are, right? And then there mm-hmm. are there are people who are so oppressed by the system or left astray that they have no hope or faith in it. So they're they, just, some of them want to see it fall. And that's that's the that's the thing that seems to be manufactured, you know. And you know, I don't know how you stand on geopolitics or anything like that. I try to keep my head out of all of that. It's unavoidable these days. But yeah, some people are saying, oh, well, you know, this is all warfare. The Chinese have been here in this country doing this stuff to us, trying to degrade our culture to make us weaker. And so, you know, all of these things so that they can come and take us over. Right. And I I try not to get too afraid of things like that, but it certainly seems possible. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Discordians all the way down in some sense. I mean, we were talking about the White Lodge and the Black Lodge. Like, I mean, within our own country, there are communists fighting fascists. There's socialists fighting capitalists. There's, you know, all these different groups. And then when it suits them, they will work together. You know, Michael Quino, the neo-Nazi, was working with the KGB to get, you know, communist KGB to get freaking mind control technology from them at the Esalon Institute in California. You know, the Discordians, they literally promote like confusion, sticking apart, creating secret societies, then secret societies and promoting infighting. And that's what I think, you know, it's meant to be confusing by design. Like no one really has the full picture, not even the people involved. And they're all being kind of prodded around by spiritual forces. They don't really understand. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. But it gives them the illusion of power, and, you know, it's fun and interesting for a while until they're all used up, like Crowley, and you die a heroin addict, and, you know, or Jack Parsons, who blows up in his garage, or L. Ron Hubbard, who's disgraced, or, I mean, I can't find one, you know, I was deep into the occult before, but I, but I was always confused. I couldn't find one person that I could look up to, you know? There was not one person who didn't, like, go crazy or have a horrible end where I could, like, really trust their fruits, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely tricky, you know. We talk about all these different subjects on the show and you know, I've had all sorts of guests on the show. You can't really assess somebody's mental health in just a 2-hour conversation, you know. Well, they're yeah, and they they're they haven't lived their full life yet, so you can't really judge mm, what mm. what their studies have produced, you know what I mean? But like when I look into something, I try and look at the person's whole life. Well, and and yeah, I was about to to say one kind of personal tangible experience of that for me is looking into Crowley's work and you know I've gone on other shows and talked about his life and kind of given what I think is important to to know about him you know Richard Spence is a big help with that you know his book detailing Crowley's work as a spy I think is totally relative and people need to know that these sort of occultists and members of secret societies are just, you know, hand in glove with the espionage industry or agencies, even going back to Crowley's time period. And I I have one personal experience of bringing one of Crowley's books to work one time when I worked at this cafe. And for whatever reason, like a, like a, a magnet, this book, it was underneath the counter. So there's no way this person could have saw it, but this person came into the cafe, they sat down without ordering anything, and they put two electric candles, you know, like little candles with like a switch at the bottom, like cheap little 
fake candles on the table, mm-hmm. which was totally strange because it's like a well-lit room. And, and they had like a little hotel-sized Bible, and they started scribbling in between the lines of the Bible. And I'm like, oh, my God, this this looks bad. Like, what is this person doing, you know? Meanwhile, yeah. I have Crowley's, you know, book of magic underneath the counter. So I go over <laughs> to the guy, and I'm like, hey, what what are you doing? You know, you need to order something. You can't just sit down in our cafe. And he's like, I was going to get a coffee all grumpy with me. I'm like, whoa, okay. All right. So I go back to the ca- the counter. I'm like, well, you need to order something now. So he comes over to the counter and, and he starts again. He's all mad and agitated that I interrupted him. He's like, you don't know who I am. And this guy, you know, he looked like disheveled and like homeless. He wasn't like just like a like an average looking person in the first place. But he was like, you, do you know who I am? I was like, no. He's like, I'm the, mm-hmm. I'm the second grandson of Charles Manson and the great grandson of Aleister Crowley or, you know, some bullshit like that, you know? And I'm like kind of shocked mostly because I have Crowley's book uh, underneath the counter, you know? So I'm like, yeah. wow, this is the last time I'm bringing this book out in public. you know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think books can be like, you know, especially written by someone like him, they could have an energy that they carry. And that was, it's a big book. It's probably one of the most expensive books I've ever purchased. And yeah, I never read it all the way through. I used it as sort of like a resource for trying to understand who he was. And what I realized, much to your point, is like he is nobody to look up to. And a lot of the stuff he was writing about was things that kind of brought his life into chaos. So why would I want to continue reading through that you know like so Mm -hmm. i kind of put his books aside and maybe they're nice to have in my collection but probably apart with them at some point (laughs) yeah i mean the books themselves like i think those are the real portals i don't think they actually even need things like cern Mm -hmm. because if you're opening up this magical grimoire and you're reading the ideas your brain kind of gets infected with that mind virus and we, we create these egregores. And I think that's why conspiracy culture is so popular right now because they're actually creating doorways through us, like the real doorways, the mind, right? And they're trying to bring these things in here through mass belief, kind of like that document I was talking about. But have you seen Archive 81? It's literally about a, C- a rich CEO trying to summon demons through movie magic, like through the screen. And people are, and it's just funny because people are watching a show created by a rich CEO about demons being summoned through shows. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like, is that some other layer of inception? Kind of like the whole East Palestine thing. Like they're doing some weird sorcery out there and things are going to get crazier and crazier for sure. And I just think it's dangerous to even get involved in it. I mean, it's, it's so interesting though, but that's like the point, like you're not going to get initiated into the Illuminati by someone coming up to you and saying like, Hey, you want to sacrifice a baby? Like, no, no one would join if that's how it started. It's gotta be seductive. It's gotta be mysterious, right? Like there's gotta be a treasure in the cave. There's gotta be some kind of philosopher's stone at the end. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the real initiation. I think it can happen in dreams. I think it can happen through synchronicity. And I don't think you have to even necessarily join like some kind of cult. All you have to do is be talking about the mysteries and you're kind of a member unwittingly. And that's what Robert Anton Wilson said. He was like, the final secret of the Illuminati is that you find out you're a member once it's too late. And, you know, I think it's, I don't think that's actually true, but I I do 
agree with the idea, you know, like that a lot of these people are unwittingly becoming agents of chaos because they're consuming chaotic information. It's not their fault, right? It's like a seed that doesn't grow in a garden correctly because you don't have the right nutrients there. There's not enough truth in the world. So people are spreading lies on accident and even when they're sincere, but you know, people, people's good and sincere intentions are usurped all the time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it definitely makes me think, you know, this, the internet, CERN, all of this being an extension of consciousness in a way, you know, people tend to separate ourselves from technology and think, oh, this is all external, it's artificial, it's made by man. But, I mean, we're using things from the earth to create these objects. They're not totally, you know, foreign. They're, they're things that are, in a sense, kind of natural, but warped away from maybe what we could be doing with them. Do you think there's a good side of technology that humanity has to evolve into? Or do you think that technology is a product of this kind of de-evolution that we're, we're kind of going through right now? I mean, it totally is causing us to devolve for sure. I don't know if, I mean, we're using it kind of productively right now, but honestly, my, my real answer is that like, I think, the world would just be better off without it. I mean, all this so-called progress and advancement, I think has just, it's ruined us. I mean, people always say like, oh, well, what about medicine? And what about things like that? I mean, dude, a lot of these new diseases we have are because of medicine. Not that taking medicine is going to kill you, but like, because we've been so tamed and weakened, like, and just filled with toxic metals and just GMO foods and all this bullshit. Like, yeah, well, and we also need, we need doctors now because we're not living right. Yeah, and to, even more accurately to what you said, like some diseases that we've created are literally like the byproduct of medicines that we've created in the sense that like diseases adapt or conform or, or certain paraterias and viruses adapt to whatever situations they have to overcome. So if you, you know, kill something with an antibiotic, it doesn't like disappear from the earth it it just grows back in a way that it it doesn't get affected by that antibiotic anymore so we're playing this deadly game even with our medicines where every time we create a medicine these viruses bacteria, or what have you these you know microbiotic adversaries they they just evolve you know and and overcome whatever obstacles. So yeah, it, it's a backwards way of thinking to think we can just technologically fix the the causes and the symptoms of things without actually getting to the root. I, I yeah, certainly I mean, agree with you there. Yeah. It's caused us to like atrophy. We don't have to work as hard to know things or do things anymore because of all these tools we have. And we don't even know how they're created in the first place. Like I don't know one person I can go talk to and say like, Hey, can you make me a phone real quick? I lost mine. <laughs> like if, like it's just, And yeah, I mean, my biggest gripe with technology is just the effects it's had on mental health and relationships because, you know, I think when there was hardly any technology, people were more communal and that's gone. We all live in separate boxes and communicate over Zoom and no one really cares about each other when you're walking past them in the street. Like... it feels like every man for himself and no one's really connected, but I really, and I've never been a part of anything like this, but somehow I miss the days when everyone knew each other 
and you know, someone had a marketplace and another person tended the horses and stuff like that. I feel like that'd be so beautiful. And you just, you know, you'd never, yeah, I don't know. You'd never feel like super isolated. Like so many people are becoming right now. Oh, I mean, I, I don't want to ask you to leave the country, Nick, but I'm, I'm sure there are places out there <laughs> outside yeah, of the yeah, United yeah. States that function like that. There's probably even places within the United States that we're not aware of that function like that. And oh, it, yeah, there are. But I've looked at some of them. Yeah, well, and that's the tricky part, too, because as, as much as I've looked into some places like that, you also find some sketchy individuals who, you know, want the same freedoms that you want. You know, that's the trouble with some of these off the grid community, you know, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm talking out of, out of turn here. So I, I've never really adventured too far into that. I've only just seen things and heard things on podcasts. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, it sounds bleak, but I like to, to remind people maybe naively optimistically that there are there is a bright side there is a a way to navigate life optimistically and with your heart first where and maybe even where you're connected with god you know through prayer yeah. and and through following yeah. that faith following that integrity that faith can bring you know you you can walk through a disaster unscathed right I, I forget who mm -hmm. i think it was my most recent interview where somebody said that you know there are stories of people making it through great disasters it's like a miracle you know that there, there there really are miracles that happen and i don't 100 i don't think that you know you or i are, are totally hopeless like you wouldn't be doing no, what no. you're doing if you were if you were hopeless, so let's not Dude, give... the the idea that the world might end is not a hopeless idea. I mean, that would be kind of a great thing. This has been a <laughs> continuous hell planet for ever since it's been created. And like the, the reason I, you know, when I tell people I believe in God now, sometimes they'll say like, "Oh, like you're just mentally checked out. Like you live in a you live in La La Land because you believe in God." I'm like, "No, it's the opposite. I believe in God because I don't live in cotton candy world. This place is tough. This place is hard." And I think it's going to get harder. And that's what people are going to need is something like God, not something like God. They, that's what exactly what they need. And I know not everyone's going to resonate with that, but that is okay. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I've always, I, I think it's a, it's a weird line that I've walked on this podcast just because I don't want to like alienate people who are still like apprehensive about God. But personally, I've had my own experiences that have reassured me and a divine creator and a God that we can pray to and, and connect to that is like the most high, you know, the highest. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried all the others and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah. I sense that I get the sense of that from our conversations, you know, this one and previous ones. And I'm not trying to like dissuade you from that, but I, I do want to know, do you think that somebody can have a connection, a relationship with God, uh, and and also uh, wade into these occult waters to understand what's going on? I mean, do you think those two are totally separate, or or do you think someone can kind of you know walk in both realms, so to speak? I mean, Solomon tried, and and it ended with his demise. There were other people like Daniel who were versed in astrology and stuff, and. I think the only reason God allowed them to know that kind of thing is because it gave them credibility in the eyes of the 
rulers and leaders of the time. But yeah, so I think it's possible to know these things and still walk with God. But really, if you are truly changed by the relationship you have with God, you're not even really going to have an interest anymore. You're just going to want more of God. You're not going to want more worldly knowledge and philosophical nonsense and high lofty ideas like all this man-made traditions and stuff. Like you're just not even going to be interested anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a place that, you know, I may come to at some point in time. I'm not opposed to that at all. I, I just, I don't feel that way right now. And I respect that you do, man. I do, you know, especially with all the information that you've given people to tap out now, I think makes sense, but also it's a little disappointing. I don't think this will be the last we hear from you, Nick, in this realm. But I definitely respect your 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 new you know path and and how you're going to approach life now. And maybe you'll you'll find a you can walk in both realms. I hope that doesn't end in you being like Solomon or something. I don't know exactly what happened to Solomon, but you said it didn't didn't end good. No. So yeah. But uh, wrapping up here, you know, we're we're talking about next steps, and you said that you might not put these books out. I don't want to pressure you because I've read, you know, a great part of this New World Disorder, and I'm like, oh, geez, I hope I can get a printed copy. I hope that that you do end up putting it out. What's your What's your plans for the next few months? You have anything in mind? Anything that you want to plug or promote before we wrap up here for people who want to support you and people who have found value from this conversation or maybe want to learn more about some of the things we talked about. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of on my way out of all this. If people want to buy the eBooks of the first two books, they can, when it comes to the new world disorder, some people have already pre-ordered it. So I'm going to make sure they get something and I'm just not sure if I want to release the book as is, or if I want to, you know, maybe combine it with, so I was supposed to really stairway to serious as well, but then that felt wrong and that ended up being 700 pages. So I might just uh, rearrange some of the information from both books and put it in there. Cause I don't want to number one, drive anyone crazy. And number two, I think the most important thing is just honestly getting the story out. So people understand where I'm coming from. Um, like, because I, I don't want to just leave without telling my full story. I think People will, you know, when people talk about God and stuff, they're like, ah, oh, that's happened before. You know, I, I've heard this story a million times. And like, I, I understand that people probably just think I went nuts and didn't see anything weird or I don't know. I just, I feel like it's important to share what happened and share exactly how I came to the conclusion I came to, which, you know, is a lot harder to do on like a two hour podcast. It's, you know, it needs to be a whole book and, yeah. And I think that the story will help people because I feel like a lot of people are going through exactly what I went through right now. You know, the, the journey into the abyss, the whole country is really. And so I just want to show people why I believe the way out is Jesus. When you, trust me, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense when, when you see everything for what it is. I mean, this Babylonian system we're in, this you know, it's the same spiritual wilderness that the prophets described. And that's why people are feeling alone. That's why people are feeling off. That's why people are seeking what's missing through the mystery, right? There's this infinite void and, you know, it's a God-sized hole, but people are trying to fill it with something supernatural, only it's not 
the right supernatural thing. Mm-hmm. And well, on that note, do you think that the misunderstanding of God is to blame for the supernatural? Because I think some people are willing to 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 see both, you know, in their worldview, they have room for, for both a supernatural realm of maybe chaos and a divine orderly realm of God. Do you think that the reason why we're experiencing more chaos is because people as in mass have, have sort of lost touch with that divine orderly realm? Yeah, I mean, everyone's a lot... The whole world has essentially forgot about God. I understand there's a revival supposedly going on in the country right now, but I don't believe that's genuine, and I've got plenty of reasons for that. But I'm also on the 4% mark. I apologize. No, it's fine. It's fine. We are wrapping up anyways. I didn't want to get too far into all your work, you know, because we do have your eBooks and people can pick those up and get all the details. You've done so much digging. You put this whole story together. It involves characters we've discussed on the show before. If you have a moment, one one last moment, I will end on the Infinity Chamber and, uh, and why this may be kind of like exactly what we've been talking about here. This like weird, I don't know, secondary simulacrum realm, right? What, what's the, what's the infinity chamber? It's basically just the echo chambers that we've all been siphoned off into through algorithms, right? Like we're all kind of playing our own glass bead game or infinite game. You're making all these friends on the internet and everyone's pushed into a certain social circle through shared interests and preferences and things like that. And it's kind of like feedback loops, right? And everyone's ideas are kind of shaped by these AIs. That's my opinion. And being studied by them. They're kind of like, it's like the movie, a maze runner in a sense. I mean, we're all kind of being studied by scientists, social scientists, like rats in a maze. And ultimately this all goes back to that sentient world simulation thing. I mean, I, I really believe that this is all just ways to mine data and feed the machine and create our digital doppelgangers, digital twins. And um, yeah, and it is kind of like a weird test because just like in those movies, Maze Runner, Divergent, Hunger Games, it's always these uh, special, smart, spiritual people that are chosen to be the leaders of the new world, the new age, right? And so we're kind of all being radicalized in our little infinity chamber. Our, you know, it's like a, it's our, it's our training. This is this is like, in my opinion, the real super psychic soldier program, right? It's like uh, half of these things out there that we're reading about are not even real. I mean, the CIA putting stuff out about like, I don't know, super soldiers on Mars and stuff like it's all just nonsense, really what they're, I mean, you have to realize what these people do for a living, right? It's to literally spread misinformation. So I literally think that they are doing experiments and shaping our views of reality in our echo chambers through these limited hangout leaks, right? Like they're just feeding us all this information. And like I said, at the end of Maze Runner and Hunger Games and Divergent, it's always these people who realize the truth all of a sudden. This this like this illumination moment happens, and then they break out of the simulation, and then they become revolutionaries, and they take down the evil, deep, satanic, dark system. And you know, I think that's why, like the Gate Kids, the gifted and talented, they had to read like 1984 and Brave New World. It's not that Huxley and Orwell were just such great guys connected to the UN and MK ultra scientists and everything like that. just by coincidence, it's because they were creating clever programs for us as children 
to prepare us for such a moment where we would see this dystopian horror incoming. And like I said, this boils down to the white lodge versus the black lodge. And so possibly when the internet shuts down, everyone's going to be ready for this fake war. You know, the, the people that think that, let me back up a second. Basically, I think that we are being shown these things like the world economic forum and the great reset and all this stuff on purpose. Like, I mean, you have millions of people talking about how the vaccine was fake. I don't think that's because, Oh my God, we, we figured it out. It's because they literally allowed it. Like if they didn't want us to know, we, we still wouldn't, they would have suppressed all the information. They would have shut up and killed everyone who was talking about it. They're literally radicalizing us and dividing us into two camps, right? There's like the transhumanist normies, unfortunately. And then there's the truth seeking conspiracy theorists, and they are going to use the truth seeking conspiracy theorists to take down those sacrificial scapegoats that I was talking about and usher in the real thing, which is going to, you know, it's kind of like how the Antichrist tricks even the elect, the smartest people. The Antichrist will appear as a savior. Well, I think it's kind of a whole movement where um, we'll really think that the good guys won or the White Lodge. Wow. Well, folks, pick up <laughs> the New World Disorder to fill in all the blanks. And yeah, man, hopefully we'll all get out of this infinity chamber unscathed and not fall victim to the psyops because that seems like what it all pre is predicated on is our will. Like our decision to be a part of it is inherently like they can't force that. We have to we have to be sort of coerced somehow or, or give it without our 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 knowledge, our consent, right? With that folks, you know, keep your head on a swivel and stay safe out there. Nick, thank you so much for joining me here, brother. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment with courage wherever you are in the now. All right, and that is our conversation with Nick Hinton. Be on the lookout for his latest two books, Incoming Soon, Stairway to Sirius, and, of course, the book that we spent time talking about today, A New World Disorder, which is uh, fitting considering the world stage and all of the wild events, events unfolding. Uh, I tried to keep my head out of all that stuff otherwise this podcast might uh, dissolve into me going on angry rants but uh, hey who knows there's a podcast called Tim Dillon or the Tim Dillon show which is essentially just that I can't say I'm anywhere near as funny as Tim Dillon but uh, yeah he does all right just ranting away so who knows if things get worse maybe I'll start ranting but uh, until then you can look forward to some amazing interviews with innovative thinkers like today's guest, uh, Nick Hinton. And, you know, no shade to any of our Christian listeners out there, anybody who uh, is a devout Christian. But I do think it's a little disappointing to see Nick take this turn. Uh, I hope this leads to him 
uh, having a happier, healthier life, and I'm almost certain it will, is uh, newfound faith. I think that could be a very uh, constructive way to lead your life, having a solid faith in God and uh, using the Bible to sort of lead the way and gleam some wisdom that maybe life didn't teach you. But I'm not someone who thinks that's the only way, right? So uh, Nick is a free man, free person who's uh, able to make his own decisions and choices. So I respect wherever he goes. But uh, yeah, it's it's a little disappointing to think that, uh, you know, after all he learned, that's the conclusion he came to. You know, I know some people who would uh, debate him on that. And I, I'm not the type of person to want to do those thing, you know, de- types of conversations, debates or anything like that. Uh, I think everybody's free to believe what they want so long as it doesn't infringe on others right to do the same and uh, of course doesn't harm anyone in the process or in the making so yeah and there are plenty of uh, Christians who have broken those rules so I don't know don't blame me for being uh, suspicious of, uh, of that but anyways no need to get too caught up on my own personal Uh, religious ideas i know there's a lot of uh, christians who listen to this show and they reach out and they say very nice things and they're very supportive and i do appreciate all of you and uh yeah my mind is not made up so who knows maybe i will see it your way one day but until then uh, i stand with what i said and i've expressed this to nick in, in other words so Uh, Again, this is no shade to him or any Christians out there. And as a matter of fact, I I kind of encouraged Nick in a way by uh, connecting him with John Brisson, who expressed very similar views to Nick. And uh, I think John is much further along the path uh, from sort of transitioning from an occultist to a Christian, a born-again Christian. I don't know if he would use that phrase born again, but uh, either way, enough about the religious stuff. Nick is a great guy and his books really, uh, you know, as I was reading The New World Disorder, you don't really get any of that. Uh, And yeah, it's fine. I think, you know, you can be a Christian and learn about this kind of stuff and it doesn't affect your mind or your soul you know you have the will and the rationale to uh, act accordingly to what you believe in so you know knowledge is a power just use it wisely that's sort of the motto i go by for now so yeah hasn't failed me yet really um but anyways nick's book is great the new world disorder it covers you know a lot of the characters we've talked about on this show specifically Uh, James Shelby Downard and uh, it really connects a lot of dots I mean that's just in the first part of the book he goes on to to connect a lot of the dots uh, on things that we've talked about in previous conversations that we've had here on this show of course all these ideas were uh, in his mind as he was writing the books over the past year or two so yeah we've talked to Nick three times now on the show and Actually, four times, one conversation was lost due to uh, poor audio quality. Neither one of us are really to blame. We just 
shouldn't record a podcast with Nick over a cell phone because whatever's going on was definitely interfering with that call. And uh, I thought about releasing it on the Patreon, but we covered a lot of the things he talked about then in this conversation. So uh, why sit through all of that uh, weird feedback, disturbing noises in the background when you could just hear this crisp, clear audio uh, conversation. Uh, anyways, enough from me. Thank you folks for being here and tuning into this episode with Nick Hinton. Uh, be sure to go over to the Substack if you want to check out some interesting research I've been doing. I have some articles written there and I'm also putting the bonus content on Substack. You can also get our bonus content on Patreon. If you sign up for the $8 tier, just send me a message and I will automatically subscribe you to the Substack so you can get all that content simultaneously. It's $8 a month to sign up for Substack. And if you sign up through Substack and pay for that year up front, uh, the first year you get a pretty good discount. So uh, consider doing that. It helps me out a ton. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support we've been getting over the past few weeks. And uh, I said I was going to do some shout outs to all the folks who donated to the show over the past um, few weeks, I guess two weeks now, one week. I, I'm not really sure. So but I said it was going to be out uh, on the Wednesday episode, so it's one uh, one episode late. So sorry about that. But we got to give a shout out to Mark G. We also have to give a shout out to some folks on Ko-Fi who have supported the show. Uh, we got Carson. Shout out to you, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Shout out to Jason. Shout out to Karsten. Karsten. Shout out to you. Shout out to Matt. Shout out to Christian, who I spoke to on a Synchro Wisdom Dialogue. If you'd like to book my time, we could talk. You could join me on this podcast, the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue, where you can present your ideas. Uh, I can give you advice on starting a podcast, or just uh, we can talk about anything. Your theories, your, your beliefs, whatever it is. Join me today. Uh, hit the link in the description, uh, Mystic Mark podcast uh link tree and yeah sign up for the synchro wisdom dialogue uh, if you value your time i value mine let's value our time together be constructive and build something uh, another shout out to sean g uh ryan k and another shout out to all of the awesome people who have signed up on the patreon over the past week or two uh, I'm going to pull your folks' names up right now. Shout out to Sagey Boy. Shout out to Alexa, Gehrig. Shout out to Matt, Robert, Kirk, Sean, Patrick, Brandon, JP, Chad, John, Rice, uh, Josh, JJT, B, uh, Rod Robert, and Johnny. Jessica, Curtis, and the unit Simulacrum, which I think will be joining us on the show at some point. He's an interesting character. Uh, Maria, John, David, uh, Despoteric Trismegistus, uh, James, Jacob, Natani, 
and Sean. Oh, of course, and Qui-Gon, Jin, and Tonic. Shout out to all of you. Thank you for joining us here on the Patreon. And also, thank you for listening to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Follow Nick Hinton on uh, Instagram. I'm pretty sure he deleted his Twitter. So if he doesn't have a Twitter, then he has an Instagram or it's vice versa. But either way, support Nick Hinton and uh, pick up his book when that's available. I told him he needs to make a Ko-Fi store to make it easier on people getting that book out, but we'll see. We'll see. I hope he does because that is a great way to support people like Nick and I who create stuff uh, with our own two hands. And uh, yeah, you can go to my Kofi store and pick up some of the jewelry that I just posted and uh, also some uh, great booklets that I've written. Of course, we got to thank our sponsor, The Hit Kit. Go to The Hit Kit on Instagram or hitkit.us. Check out the Hit Kit. It's the number one way to get lit. Keep all your smokables safe and sound right there next to your lighter. And Garrett's got a bunch of ton of uh, a ton of really awesome designs that you could even customize. You can get your own. I have one with Hermes Trismegistus on it, and apparently that's pretty rare. So uh, there's only one other one like that. Maybe you ought to get the other one. Uh, before someone else does so anyways check out the hit kit use the promo code crazy and save 15 percent at checkout and of course uh support an american-made product uh made by a listener of this podcast and of course i use the hit kit every time i leave the house with weed so uh, if you do that you should buy one too all right and that does it for today's episode thanks folks for being here and Immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.
cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit uh, i'm peeking through the curtain nothing is for certain but i feel it like a purpose wait i'm peeking through the curtain hardly feeling like a person but the vibes are perfect uh, i'm peeking through the curtain nothing is for certain but i feel it like a purpose wait my third eye's open and my chakras flowing all seven channels in my spirits floating Knowledge feeling deeper than the ocean It's the A-fold path and the sacred lotus uh, I'm peeking, flipping through Akashic records My ego's decomposing like a leper I'm Edgar Casey going some levitation So with zero hesitation as I jump into the spaceship I'm weary from faking like an earthling While skyfish dip and dive above the earth circling I'm spiraling, sacred geometry Studying my old selves like it's anthropology Honestly, feeling like life's a comedy As big a game as a paper-run economy I've been playing safe, but safest for the weak or hard Wait, I'm peeking, tearing everything apart Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose Wait Wait, 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 wait.